morning, Rogers Park. Just getting situated. Good morning again. My name's Lee Grander. I serve as a pastoral resident here. Uh, it's my joy to be with you this morning and a great joy to bring the word of God as we continue in our sermon series on the I Am statements uh, that Jesus says through the Gospel of John. If you've been with us for a while, you've seen that Jesus has in the last few weeks proclaimed, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd. And this week we will close in on Jesus' statement in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and meet me there in John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back, and it's our free gift to you. We hope that you take it home. If you've got your smartphones, you can go ahead and, and meet me there. However you've got to do it, meet me in John chapter 14, verse 1. When we begin to read, we'll find ourselves in the middle of a late-night conversation between Jesus and his disciples. But first, let me give a little context of how we got there. In the beginning of chapter 13 in John's gospel, if you look at the very first sentence, it's, been, it's become very clear to Jesus that his hour has come and that the time to depart out of the world is, is now. He's going home to the Father. So what Jesus does is he begins to prepare his disciples for what happens next. That happens in chapter 13. One of the things he does is he washes the disciples' feet, foreshadowing the coming reality that Jesus would go to the cross and wash their sins white as snow. Jesus tells the disciples that one amongst them would betray him to prepare them. And he tells the disciples this saying in verse 33 in chapter 13. He says, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now before saying how the disciples react, I want to pull over and say, when I read the, the gospel, sometimes I give these disciples a lot of flack. I say, how, how could you not know? Why don't, why don't you see it? Why don't you, you know, do this or that? And if we're honest, I think we'd be much worse than the disciples if we were there and, and then. But I want to give them a little credit here because they usually get a lot of flack. At this point in the gospel, they had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left their home, their place of comfort, security, and belonging because they believed Jesus was worth it. So when Peter hears Jesus say, where I'm going, you cannot come, understandably, and I do believe with a genuine desire to be with Christ, he says, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But in the following two sentences, we find out that the leader among the disciples would soon deny Jesus three times in the next 24 hours. We find out that even in Peter's most sincere attempt in his most sincere thought, he would not be able to follow Jesus and hold on to everything that he had and wanted. Before we read John 14, 1 through 14, I want to point out two things in this short account of Peter. The first is that it shows us we are going to need help. In Peter's best attempt, and his most sincere thought, he wasn't able to follow Jesus. We're going to need help. And secondly... This account was seen by all the disciples. They saw Peter, their leader, fall. They heard Jesus say that where I'm going, you cannot come. They're in a rough spot. 
They're confused and threatened of Jesus' impending departure. They're uncertain, but Jesus in compassion begins our text in chapter 14, verse 1. You guys are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Jesus in compassion begins chapter 14, verse 1, saying, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am going, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? However, uh, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he, uh, he, uh, will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we do so in the name of Jesus, and we ask that today you would be glorified that we would worship you because we get a fresh revelation of who you are from your word. We're so grateful as people that you would reveal yourself to us and that you draw us us in. Father, I pray that we'd come with humble hearts ready to receive your word. I, I pray that we would come with open minds, being attentive to the words that you speak to us. And God, I pray that you'd build us up and send us out. Would you do it, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, something that I've learned in the last five months uh, with my wife and I just having our son named Wyatt is just how much I appreciate home. We've done a little bit of traveling here and there, not too crazy, but when we do, we always long for home. When visiting my parents, I'm struck with this reality that where I once belonged, I no longer do. And hear me out. I'm not saying that I'm unwelcomed or unwanted or unloved. I mean, my parents literally moved the crib up into my old bedroom so that they could accommodate us when we travel. But what I am trying to say and the reality I'm pointing to is the bedroom I grew up in that was mine is now just a guest bedroom. After being there, I began to long for a place where I'm not just a visitor, but where I truly belong. I long to be with Kelsey and Wyatt in my home. Another thing I long for, maybe you uh, 
kind of feel what I'm saying here is I long for my bed. I long for my bed. I want a good night's sleep. And you guys know if you've had a five-month-old, it's about the right time to ask for a good night's sleep. And at my parents' house, you know, they've, they've got a bed and we're thankful for the bed, but it's a little smaller than our bed. So Kelsey is small. Truth is, I'm not so small. We try to fit us into the bed. And as you imagined, it's not the most restful experience. We just long for home. When Kelsey and I went to the marriage retreat, again, we felt this longing to be home. Kelsey's got celiac disease, which means she can't eat anything with gluten. And gluten is just about in everything. It's more than just an allergy. It's something that makes it so we can't use the same cookware that we use for gluten products. It means we can't go out to eat anywhere. It's really difficult. Some of you guys are gluten-free or celiac. We quickly begin to long for home where we have the provision, where we have the provision we need to ensure she doesn't get sick. And even tonight and over the next few days, we're going with some of the pastors uh, down to a conference in Indianapolis. And I know it's, I know what's going to happen. Even the brothers I love so much, we're going to get down there and after a quick, uh, after, uh, real quickly, what's going to happen is I'm going to long for home. And I will ultimately be longing for the ones whom I love most, my family. In all of our hearts, we long for home. Not the structure or the stuff in our home. As nice as Chip and Joanna Gaines make a house look, we really long for what comes with home. We long for belonging, for rest, for provision, security, love, and commitment. If we're honest, even our homes don't grant us the deepest longing of our heart. Our homes aren't perfect, though we wish they were. We wish our homes, we wish in our homes we were always provided for perfectly. We wish we always got good rest. Amen to that? Amen. We wish we were totally secure. We wish we would find perfect love in our, in our homes and perfectly deep commitment with those who live with us. But the reality is that's not always the case. The reality is it's never the case because it's not perfect. But we still have that longing. C.S. Lewis sums this up, this longing up by saying, if we find in ourselves, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Many of us seek to fill our lives with things that we think can fill this void, this longing for home. And yet some of us may just be ready to give up. We've never realized any of what we think home should be. We just want a perfect home. Well, this morning, God's word brings good news. In our text, we see that Jesus is the way home. And he promises us that he'll bring us there. In verses 1 through 6, after Jesus spoke compassionately to his disciples, he assures us the perfect home we all long for exists. And it's called the Father's home. It's called heaven. By saying that Jesus is going to the Father's home to prepare a place for his disciples, we can be assured that this longed-for perfect home does in fact exist. The word of God describes heaven as a place where every tear will be wiped away, where death shall be no more, no mourning, no crying, no pain. 
The perfect home is described as paradise. This longed-for place is where the throne of God and the Lamb will be and where his servants will worship him and they will see his face. Perfect belonging, perfect rest, perfect provision, perfect security, love, and perfect commitment will finally be attained. The beauty in this passage is that it just oozes grace. It oozes grace, which is at the heart of Christianity. Grace is just that, an unmerited gift, a free gift that you don't deserve that you received anyway. Look at Jesus' words. He says, I go to prepare a place. He says, I will come again. He says, I will take you to myself. Jesus doesn't say that longing in your heart for a perfect home, yeah, you need to figure that one out by yourself and prepare a place. He doesn't say that lo- of that longed-for place that you'll need to find your way there. He doesn't say that home you so desire, yeah, you'll have to do some really good stuff in order to deserve a place there. He doesn't say that. And praise the Lord that he doesn't. He says, I will go. I will come. I will take you to myself. He says, I've got this. Just believe in God. Believe in me. Jesus is saying, believe in me in the same way that you believe in God. Jesus is saying, trust in me the same way that you trust in God. He's saying, the reason I can take you to this place is because I'm on an equal playing field with God himself. He's making this claim with authority. So, is the application then to wait? I mean, it's good news that what we long for actually exists. It's good news that we don't have to make that perfect home ourselves and that Jesus is going to take us there. It's freeing that we don't need to do a lot of stuff to earn a place there. But in the meantime, should we just wait for Jesus to come back? Not necessarily. Because when we continue in the text, we see clearly that Jesus is the way home and he brings home to us. Jesus is the way home and he brings home to us. After telling his disciples uh, Jesus was going to prepare a place for them, that he would come back and take them to where he was going, to take them home, he said, you know the way where I'm going. But Thomas, in his honesty, and I love him for that, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus proclaimed, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says the way home and the most important part of home is already here. What's that mean? We'll get there in just a second. Kelsey the other day showed me this sign that she wants to put in our house that says, home is wherever you are. Home is wherever you are. And that's it. The sign most certainly will show up in our home one day. But I love the phrase. I love the phrase. And the reason I love the phrase and think it's amazing is because it reminds us that everything we long for in this home, everything we long for ultimately is found in a person. It's where you are. It's in a relationship. That person in relationship is Jesus. We long for him. So why is being in relationship like being home? 
In a relationship with Jesus, we can be united with him and the Father. Look what Jesus says next. If you have known me, you have known the Father. He says later, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When we have a relationship with Jesus, we are simultaneously bound in a relationship with God the Father. This profound mystery is summed up when Jesus says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. We get that, right? There's the Father's house that Jesus is taking us to, but what's most important about the house isn't the thing or the building or the structure. It's that the Father's there, and he brings the Father in a perfect revelation to us. He reveals the Father in himself. Look at the I am statement. Jesus is the way to be with the Father. He's the truth we are seeking and the life we are so desperately longing for. In him we can find perfect belonging, perfect rest, provision, security, perfect love, and perfect commitment. But in our text, Jesus still says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot go. So we're back to the response of waiting. Do we just wait for Jesus now to bring us home? Do we just wait for that experience with the relationship with him and the Father in perfect unity until he comes back. And while we wait, do we just try to follow Jesus in our best attempts and with our best intentions? Well, we know it didn't work for Peter so well. He fell. He needed help. So what do we do? As we peer into the end of chapter 14, we see Jesus promises something. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, the helper, Jesus is the way home because he seals home in us now and for eternity. In chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus will ask the Father and he will give his disciples the Holy Spirit or the helper. But it is clearest if you just skip a little bit into chapter 16, verse 7, that the reason Jesus must go in the first place so that the Spirit can come. In John 16, 17, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus will go and will send the spirit as helper. The helper will enable disciples of Jesus to follow him. The helper will teach disciples all things and bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus has said. What's that mean? Well, it certainly means for believers in Jesus, when we pursue learning all things and when we are reminded of the things Jesus has said, we ought to thank God that the Holy Spirit is helping us. We are not alone, and this is a beautiful thing. Our longing for home can then be satisfied both now and for eternity. How? Well, this is what happens. The Holy Spirit hasn't just come to help. It's come to seal us. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus is speaking of the beauty of of our union with him by the power of the Spirit. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come into believers, uniting us to Christ and the Father. Jesus says in John 14, 23, that the Father and the Son will make their home with the believer. 
And this will be by way of the power of the Spirit. Our longing for home can be satisfied both now and for eternity. This is the already not yet factor that we're starting to catch on in the Christian life. We can experience home now because the Spirit dwells in us and unites us perfectly with the Father and the Son. But one day when Christ returns, we will experience a climax of being brought face to face with God in his fullness. Because our longing for home, for perfect belonging, rest, provision, security, love, and commitment can be satisfied now by the Spirit, it brings us freedom. We are freed from pursuing lesser things. We no longer have to pursue building the perfect home ourselves. We don't need to find our way towards what we're longing for most in our hearts. We won't have to earn a place because we've already got one. For those of us who are ready to give up, when we receive by grace through faith the deepest longing of our heart, we can have hope. Our freedom and satisfaction, though, came at a great cost. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life because through him is the only way we could be made right with God. You see, we have a sin problem. This problem creates a chasm between us and home, between us and rest, between us and communion with our creator. Sin is what keeps us from the deepest longing of home being realized in our life. Sin is our woeful rejection of God, And we see, as Phil pointed out back at the beginning of the year, there's an immediate result of homelessness all the way in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were literally kicked out of their home that God had made for them when they sinned against God. This is the reality that all people find themselves in. We were made for a home. We were given deep longing to be there. But sin and its legal demand of death has kept us from being home. Earlier in the text, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, he's not talking about a physical room. But he's going to bridge the chasm of sinful man and a holy God. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And what he's saying is, I'm about to be betrayed by my friend, to be flogged by Pilate, to have a twisted crown of thorns on my head and to be mocked in purple robe. What Jesus is saying is he's about to be sentenced to death for a sin he never committed, to carry up his own cross on Golgotha's hill, to have his hands and feet pierced with nails and hung on a cross. Jesus would go prepare a place for sinful man to be reconciled with a holy God. So what Jesus would do is as the perfect, obedient, and spotless lamb, he would absorb the wrath of God for our sin on himself once and for all. He would die, but he would raise a king. He did it all so our sin could be washed white as snow, so that we could be united with him for eternity by the power of the Spirit, so that we could stand in his righteousness, and so that we could be brought home. 
when we believe in the name of Jesus in our hearts and confess with our mouths that he is Lord, we will be saved. We will experience the deepest longing of our hearts for a home satisfied in him. We need to turn, to repent, to redirect. We need to turn back to God, believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we can be brought home. When we are satisfied in Christ, we're not only freed from chasing and from the feelings of helplessness, but we are also freed for the life that Jesus came to give. Back in the beginning where we started, we saw the disciple Peter so upset about Jesus saying, where I I am going, you cannot go. He said it in verse 33, chapter 13. He was so upset that he looked right over the commandment that came next. Jesus, preparing to depart and to send the Spirit, gave the commandment that Peter never asked about or paid attention to. It said that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. When we believe in the name of Jesus and experience union with God through the Spirit, we are freed for loving one another just as Jesus has loved us. This is a sacrificial type of love that we are to show one another because we already have it all. This is a command for the family of God to love one another, and I think the best thing that we can do to love one another is to encourage each other to take hold of the life that's truly life. I think the best way that we can truly love one another is to encourage each other to live out who Jesus says we are, being totally reliant on the Spirit. We are called to be salt and light, as we've heard before. We're called to be a light to this world. We are said to be those sent by Christ in the same way that the Father sent Christ. We are called to make disciples and not be satisfied with book clubs. Church, let's be satisfied in bringing good news, in setting the captive free, in seeing men, women, and children brought home. We are called to proclaim Jesus to a watching world who are desperately longing for home. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and the life. Jesus is our way home. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you don't leave us separated, you don't leave us homeless, but you have sent your son that we could experience home today. Father, I pray if there's any of us who still have that longing for home in our hearts that we would come to Jesus today, that we'd profess with our mouth, we'd believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that he has accomplished a perfect, eternal, immediate home for us. God, I pray that when we are freed from, we'd be freed for everything that you've come to give us, that we'd have our satisfaction totally in you and that we could pour out our lives for the sake of others, that we would be a people that love one another as you've loved us. 
And by that, all people would know we are disciples of you. So Father, help us in that. You sent your spirit to be our help. We pray and we ask for it. We need it. We need you. Would you be with us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.